This episode is for informational purposes only and is not to be taken as legal or professional advice. Welcome to Healthcare Inspired, the podcast that bridges the gap between clinical expertise and business innovation, all with a single purpose, improving patient care. Get ready to be inspired as we bring you thought-provoking discussions, captivating stories, and groundbreaking insights from leading experts in healthcare. Join your host, Jennifer McNamara, on a journey of discovery as she connects the dots, revealing the synergies between clinical and business teams. Each episode, we'll delve into the latest healthcare trends, uncover innovative solutions, and share success stories that will motivate and ignite change. So get ready to embark on a path of inspiration, knowledge, and transformation. Here is your host, Jennifer McNamara. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Healthcare Inspired. I am your host, Jennifer McNamara. I'm thrilled to be back with you again, once again, for an amazing episode. It is October. There are a lot of things happening here in October, and one of those things, of course, is the brand new updates for ICD-10 CM for 2024. A lot of great updates, and so we will, of course, be bringing you education and some tips along the way throughout the next few weeks to keep you prepared and up to date and ready to go and roll this month of October as we start out our journey at ICD-10 with documentation tips and more. So stay tuned for that. It's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and every October we always try to do an episode. One of the things I'm super passionate about, which a lot of you know, is patient advocacy. I am also a big proponent of physician advocacy, but today we're going to talk about patient advocacy. We see a lot of information out there, a lot of data showing that there are many patients who are paying bills they don't have to pay, right? So today we're going to just kind of dig into the business side of healthcare and how understanding that side can really help those of us out there without a background in healthcare, coming right from the mouths of those that do have a background in healthcare, really helping you understand how to navigate your own healthcare journey. So I want to start things off and I want to kind of give you a personal story. Many of you know that I recently, um, of course, visited the hospital with my family in Chicago. Um, currently, I'm still in Chicago this week. So I'm really enjoying, of course, the, the great uh, hospitality um, and the food and, the, and of course, all the fun stuff here in Chicago. But when you're in the hospital day in, day out, caring for a family member, trying to navigate all the, the nuances of making sure you ask the right questions, you get the right information, it can be daunting for a family, especially when they don't have a unique understanding of what to ask and you know what to do to help with the financial aspects of a hospital stay, right? When I was there, of course, I am a, a huge proponent and a huge advocate for charity care. And we all know that a lot of times out there, we, we run across facilities that aren't as transparent about their policies and their financial assistance. A lot of times you have to just break down doors and walls and you have to really dig and dig and dig or find somebody to help you find these financial assistance policies so you understand. Uh, the resources out there for you. But I was so, so excited to find at the University of Chicago Medicine right here in Chicago. What a great facility they are. Not only do they have top-notch physicians and surgeons and care team members, but their financial policies are clearly evident all over the hospital for one thing. So for instance, all over the walls of the hospital, the elevators, everywhere, they have posted signs on, if you need assistance, please contact this number or this is where you go. And right there on their website, you will see transparent information on the policy for charity care, the income requirements, right? And so we know most hospitals, they do require um, that you make 200% of the poverty level, you can qualify for 100% charity care in many situations. And then it goes up from there, 
400%, you get, you get 80% coverage, right? So that's really helpful for patients. And there's so many policies out there and, and laws out there that sometimes patients aren't aware of. And so they may, of course, benefit from a patient advocate. And many, many, many um, hospitals out there do have patient advocates on staff, and they are great resources. There are also times where you may need to hire a private patient advocate. And at Healthcare Inspired, we do have private patient advocates. Sometimes they can go places that those on staff in the hospitals can't go because maybe they're tied to certain hospital policy they can't go around. So sometimes it's beneficial, just like hiring a lawyer, right, to get you out of trouble uh, with the law. If you're in trouble financially for healthcare bills that you can't get out of, or you have nowhere to turn, you can hire a private patient advocate to be on your side and help you through this ordeal. It's really great, I feel, to be that bridge, that advocate uh, between the individuals that need healthcare and those understand healthcare to navigate these confusing areas, uh, the financial landscape of healthcare. So I wanted to really encourage everyone out there, if you feel you're in a position, you can't get the answers you need, you're not sure if you should pay a bill, please, please consider hiring an independent patient advocate. Now, speaking of, of course, as we mentioned, patient advocacy, we have our special guest today, Kelly Luby. She is an amazing person, and I just really enjoyed uh, getting to know her and her story. Now, she is a breast cancer survivor, but she's also a survivor of other things. Uh, she was kind of, I guess you could say, put through the ringer when it came to healthcare conditions and diagnosis and navigating the healthcare system, which, of course, as a practice manager and someone that has been in the business side of healthcare for a very long time, she was somewhat prepared for what to expect. But even so, when you find yourself on the other side of healthcare, where you're no longer the one helping patients with their bills and helping patients navigate this side of healthcare, when you find yourself on the other side as a patient, it can just turn your world upside down and now you're trying to navigate things. And even though you may have an understanding of these things, you may, of course, find yourself just worried about getting that access. So I really think you're going to enjoy and be encouraged by the conversation I'm gonna have with Miss Kelly Luby. So stay tuned for that after the break. Well, guess what, guys? It is once again time for the annual Business of Healthcare Colloquium. It's virtual. It's presented by the Jolivet Medicoding Institute. I want to give a huge shout out to Kimberly Jolivet Williams for always putting on a great event. I will be starting out the show on November 11th, Saturday, November 11th, on enhancing clinical documentation for chronic conditions, the impact on coding and reimbursement. We're going to have topics on EMR optimization, really engaging your team. We're going to talk about conditions such as diabetes. We're going to look at telehealth. Uh, there's going to be so much information, so many speakers on various topics, understanding screening colonoscopies, modifier 25, and so much more. So please stay tuned for, on November 11th and 12th, the Business of Healthcare Colloquium presented by the Jolivet Medicoding Institute. And of course, the details will be in our show notes. We encourage you to attend. We will see you at the event. Well, as mentioned, I have my very special guest on the show today. I have Kelly Luby. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us on this, this episode we wanted to do really talking about a lot of it's patient advocacy, but 
as a patient, um, especially someone with your background, we know sometimes the, the script is flipped. And we have been in healthcare working on the business side. We understand the headaches and the challenges that come along with trying to navigate the healthcare system. And then we become a patient ourselves. And we're dealing with some of the same things that we see all the patients that we're helping go through. So First of all, I like to get a little background on my guests. So can you share with us a little bit about your journey as a healthcare professional? Well, it started a long time ago. It was my first big girl job about uh, 27 years ago. I started off working for a chiropractor who I had I had seen him as a patient. I was 18, fresh out of high school, started working for him. While working for him, I realized I didn't want to keep working for him forever. But then I did go to college. My dad's a computer programmer. And he happened to, well, now he's retired, but he made medical billing software. So he actually had his own billing company. So one day a week, I'd go in with him. It was my one day without classes. Started as a receptionist. Then I started folding the claims and putting them in envelopes to the insurance company. And then, you know, I found my passion when they finally asked me to start doing some collection calls. And I loved doing billing collections and fighting with the insurance companies. And I've been in the billing departments for whatever job I've landed until about two years ago, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago. Um, I became the office manager for the practice I've been with for 14 years. It's a large internal medicine and separate endocrinology practice that I manage both of them. So it's been a while. I love it. Kelly, wow. You know, I have a lot of admiration for office managers and practice managers. Years ago, when I was a production coder for our local hospital for many years, I went and, and ventured out and started my own billing company many years ago. And my first, you know, actual uh, client that we received was a, a large practice. And I somewhat functioned <laughs> as an unofficial office manager for them for a little bit, trying to help them kind of navigate things. And I started to really, really respect <laughs> what my managers had done all those years. We think about back then and um, how things were It's this way today too. They would always be in meetings and I would always like, ask why my, my co-workers why are they in so many meetings it's all the time <laughs> and then, then I started going to these meetings and I'm like oh man there's a lot to cover there's a lot to do and there's a lot to manage and yes. it's it's not just what we think as uh it's not glamorous <laughs> whatsoever no. right I no. that's not the word I would use to describe it uh, probably but no I I totally respect yeah. what, what y'all do and when I had to do it I started to really just kind of live in it and think, okay, this is a lot that we have to do. And then you throw in the mix, uh, getting, of course, sick yourself as a, as a mm -hmm. person, someone who has a really stressful job to, you know, in general, the stress. Oh my goodness. Yes. So it's complex. We know in general, mm -hmm. the healthcare system is so complex. So let me ask you this. Uh, how did your background in healthcare prepare you for what you are about to experience a health crisis as a patient? And then give us a little bit, whatever you want to share about your health crisis you had, and then how that prepared you as a professional to deal with that. Well, I could probably blow your mind with all the medical health issues I have had. 
just even while I've worked at this practice, I've had two brain tumors. One, it's a pituitary macroadenoma. And then about seven years ago, I had breast cancer. And then most recently, I had some sort of gallbladder issues. So I, I'm very good at being a patient, I guess. I imagine. Non-compliant, but a good patient. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm much more understanding to the staff at places. And, you know, you realize, okay, even though they might be able to look at the results, they can't give you results. You have to be patient with them. They only can do their job. I think one thing that helped me a lot is I understand prior authorizations. So it's a game with insurance companies. It has to be played to get things covered. And I was able to advocate for myself and fight with my insurance companies to get the tests I needed. Even before I started with my cancer journey, I had to fight just to get a mammogram because I am young. I'm this was back, I started fighting when I was 30 for mammograms. I had cancer, breast cancer when I was 38. To have to make sure I'm fighting with the insurance companies, making sure that I'm getting the treatment that's needed. You have to stand up for yourself, but you really do get more bees with honey. I 100% agree. And so that's a challenge. It's a challenge to think about, you know, you know, the challenges that patients go through and that you're experiencing themselves. We can go on and talk all day about prior authorizations. I mean, I've <laughs> had entire episodes on prior authorizations before. It's a nightmare. They're so fun. Right. They're, they're amazing, right? I love them. No. Uh, so for instance, when I worked in the oncology field in the last couple of years, I worked with an oncology, a lot of oncology companies and, and working with patients. Uh, you really saw the intricacies. I was mostly on the surgical side for many years until I stepped into the oncology world and and tried to manage education for for uh, a company trying to help with prior authorizations but it's drugs it's chemo it's hard um, it's radiation oncology it's there's so much to it that um the average patient doesn't really know what they're up against mm-hmm. all of the the roadblocks they're going to experience from one treatment to the next it's it's mind-boggling the things that that you all go through when you're dealing with a, a condition like that or a diagnosis first of all what is the diagnosis so if you can kind of share with me uh your first thoughts when you first got your diagnosis what was the first thing that came to your mind did you think about financial or what was the first thing that just kind of went to you as this is it (laughs) well for the cancer diagnosis which of course is the real big thing you'd think a brain tumor but no those were easy um (laughs) with the cancer i I have a very significant family history of breast cancer. Every female in my entire family just about has had breast cancer. So from the time I was probably 20 years old, I knew it was a win. I have breast cancer, not an if. I thought I'd probably be in my 50s when I had it because that was the ages everybody had. But I'm special. I started young. And the way I found out was really weird as well because I went on the patient portal. Pathology is usually not on your patient portal. It was. So I I printed my report. I was at work and mm. I had somebody come in and ask me a question. And I looked at them and said, I, I can't answer your question. I, I have cancer. Oh. Printed my report and walked over to my primary care. Girl. And then oh, we goodness. had a big old meeting in the hallway. Oh my goodness, girl. 
that gives me chills. I mean, I just, I've gotten so close to some of the people I worked with in the office and ask them a question when they're, they just got handed this life altering thing. Mm-hmm. And how do you even respond to that? But I mean, you respond how you respond in that moment. It was like, all of a sudden, I'm not here at work anymore. I'm wow. <laughs> yes, this is this is real. This is hitting me like a like a ton of bricks. Understand. Mm-hmm. And so you went to that appointment, you started the process. What was that process like as far as the appointments and all of the data that came at you as far as what your next steps were? Of course, I went to my primary care before I even talked to the surgeon or anybody else. With my family history, I've known from a young age what I would do when I had the cancer. Because I, like I said, it was a win, not an if. And I had watched two of my aunts go through breast cancer. One of them afterwards had ovarian cancer and passed from that. So I knew I needed to be aggressive no matter what type of cancer, because there's so many different types of breast cancer. So I knew already in my head that I would be having a bilateral mastectomy. I would be having reconstructive surgery from the stomach fat. I knew I was going aggressive. Now, we didn't know if I was going to need chemo or radiation at that time. Eventually, we found out I did need chemo, but um, I did not need radiation. When I explained to my doctors why I wanted to be so aggressive, almost all of them completely said, you're doing the right thing. Even though I'm BRCA negative, there's some other genetic component that I have. We just don't know what it is. So Understood, yeah. Yeah. With that family history, you have to, you have to take it. And I didn't want, I'm still young-ish. Mm-hmm. You are, girl, you are. <laughs> You're so young and have a lot of life left in you and, and of course, a lot of of passion in you, I think for healthcare too, and helping others. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I really, I really admire that about you. And you are of course aware of what we call patient advocacy, because as you are aware, there are things that patients go through. They may not know that there are resources out there for them when they go through a diagnosis like this, um, things out there that can help them kind of navigate this process a little easier. And Mm -hmm. so maybe you knew a lot of those things and, and you kind of reached out, were there any advocacy programs you reached out for? What what kind of things did you go about to try to get access to care or, or uh, resources to help you? There is a local resource that I didn't know about, but uh, somebody else in the area who had had breast cancer told me about, and it's a a place called the driven by heart. It's not a doctor's office. They supply women with drain pouches. And of course, what's a drain pouch? I didn't know that at the time. Shower shirts. They had wigs to give to people. They have a ton of resources. They at the time were having group meetings. I think they're back to that. So they were a phenomenal resource for helping The place I also went for my treatment was wonderful. They gave me a whole book that had my name on it, my diagnosis, my everything, how we were going to treat me, so much information. And now, you know, still working in healthcare and I'm in primary care for the most part, when we have other patients who come in who are diagnosed with things, I go in and talk to them, give them the resources that I've come up with and kind of try to give them some hope too. 
That's just beautiful. I love that. Cause you know, you are, you have a unique perspective. You're, you're there every day, you know, encountering patients who in a primary care setting, you're, you're managing multiple conditions and, you know, maybe one of those conditions pops up and someone says, Hey, you can probably help this person get access to things that they mm-hmm. may not know about, which is a great, great thing. Yeah. Even though you went through this horrible thing, this challenging thing, you have come up on the other side now being able to help people. But going back to what was like in the middle of that, um, was there anything specifically challenging or even enlightening that you you want to share with our audience during that process that kind of changed you as a person? It did change me as a person. And it's kind of weird. I became more confident as a person not really challenges that I had because I was blessed. I had wonderful physicians, again, working for my primary care. They were, I think at the time we had about five primary cares. Right now I have 15 practitioners I manage. They were calling the people to go and get me the best care possible. And I knew I didn't want to go anywhere in my very local community here. I wanted to go to a bigger place. So I went to the Orlando Cancer Center. They called the doctors ahead of time. They got me in with the best of the best plastic surgeons, general surgeon. And what I really liked from those bigger areas and something I think that would benefit most people going through what I have gone through, they have teams that met and they discuss your actual, they discuss you as a person, what does everybody think is the best course of action? And knowing that it's more than one person's opinion makes a difference. And they discussed it with you too, but you're getting more than just one. So getting multiple people, multiple opinions on your treatment is a really good thing. That's so amazing. I know a lot of patients that go through this, uh, they, they feel that they may not have the right surgeon or the right team. Mm-hmm. And so it's so great that you had, you have that and you didn't have those challenges. Yeah. Um, you need to have somebody you have the right relationship with. If you do not like a doctor, do not keep going to them. Absolutely. If- it's your life, especially with, with cancer. I mean, it's definitely life altering. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many things in life that um, you don't have to accept. You can make changes because it is your body. It is your right as a patient to make those changes. Now I work with a lot of, you mentioned plastic surgery. So I work with a lot of plastic surgery offices. And when I first started down that road many years ago, I came enlightened and during the process, because I worked with a breast surgeon and then I worked with a plastic mm-hmm. surgeon and seeing how they work together. So they kind of work on these surgeries together. Um, the breast surgeon, of course, you know, they help with the diagnosis of cancer. They do the ultrasounds and manage that condition. They do the surgical part. And then a plastic surgeon comes in almost obviously at a reconstruction type of aspect. Mm -hmm. Then occasionally, you know, we have patients where they have to have, in some cases, an implant put in. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had spacers at first. Yeah, spacers, right? You you know what that's like. And on the insurance side for what I did (laughs) with the prior authorizations and (laughs) all that fun stuff and explaining to patients that you have a cosmetic situation and an insurance situation. And sometimes if the, if your practice is an understanding of your diagnosis, they may or may not understand the right way to bill a particular procedure. So we have to have those conversations with, with patients. And that's why at Healthcare Inspire, we like to actually have these conversations. Why I wanted to have you on here 
is discuss these nuances that patients may not know about that if you feel that your medical bill you're getting from multiple surgeons, multiple facilities may not be mm-hmm. correct, you need to have someone to reach out to. For those patients out there, you know, that go through some of the same things you went through that don't have your background, don't know really what questions mm-hmm. to ask, uh, and are trying to navigate these complex medical conditions, what advice or tips would you give them? Again, it's being with a physician who you feel you can trust that will listen to you and your concerns. You don't ever want to feel rushed. You want to know that they're hearing, hearing and understanding what you're saying and not just placating you. Make sure they're doing whatever they can to make you feel comfortable because you are the patient. And you know, you hear it with law enforcement all the time because, hey, I'm a taxpayer. I pay your bill. I, I pay your salary. Well, really, a doctor's salary is paid by the patients and their insurance. So stand up for what you believe. And if, you know, you say, well, this is what I, I feel is best for me. And that doctor's not willing to listen to you. Go get a second opinion. It does not hurt. Go find somebody who will listen. And while you might be wrong because they know more healthcare wise than us, sometimes it's the way they say it too. 100% girl. I am telling you, I've had, I would tell you recently, okay, I went to my GYN and of course I, I normally do see a nurse practitioner, but that particular one wasn't available. So I saw a different one. I love nurse practitioners. I mean, like I have built relationships with the ones I've seen and, and I, I, I will go see them. And so I went and saw this one and. I had like the most, the weirdest experience. And I I just, I'm like, I'm not going back because the way she talked to me as a, because I'm a healthcare advocate. I'm also someone who works in healthcare and advises people how to treat other people, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, ethically and all all of that. And so I'm in there and I scheduled my appointment for one thing, but I had other things I wanted to talk about. And I've never had a problem just talking to my physician about anything that I'm going through that I want to talk about. I'm mm-hmm. there, right? She goes, oh, wait, wait, wait. She says, oh, we only have you scheduled for this. I don't have time today. So we're going to have to just do this today. And we'll have to schedule the rest later. And I I didn't know what to do because I never had that experience before. And I was just like, you know what? She probably had a bad day. I'm just going to gonna just talk it up to that and just say, okay, that's great. Let's talk about that. That's my, my number one concern. What I'm most concerned about today that I'd like cover today is this problem. So we covered it, but <laughs> I'm telling you, it was the weirdest thing. I, I thought, well, that's not an experience I want to have again. So no. I will be looking elsewhere, but it taught me a good lesson about not every physician is going to be right for you as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, personality wise and just bedside manner isn't always there. And again, maybe they had a bad day, but you know, sometimes it's the way they talk to you that gives you that confidence that you can trust their diagnosis and their management of your diagnosis. Right. So I think that's a really good point that a really great advice that we can, we can give to our patients out there and those that are going through this. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on today and letting me interview you. We're going to have a practice management symposium coming Ooh. virtually to everyone in February, on February 16th. So we hope everyone yes. joins doing that. We're excited to have more interviews, more, more, more conversations with Kelly and others at the practice management symposium. So please, please, please uh, go ahead and, and jump onto our show notes. You'll see the link for that to purchase your tickets for that. 
Thank you again, Kelly. And thank you to all of you out there who are really fighting for patient advocacy and are really fighting in general to, to fight your diagnosis, to fight your disease and reach out to those that in your community that can help you. There's so much resources out there that we need to be, of course, aware of. So thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful podcast producer, Gabriel Fast with Highland Productions. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Healthcare Inspired. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you thought of the show. To learn more about Jennifer McNamara and her team at Healthcare Inspired, including how to hire their exceptional data team, visit www.healthcareinspiredllc.com. Thank you once again for joining us on this journey of inspiration and transformation. Together, let's shape the future of patient care. Healthcare Inspired is brought to you by Healthcare Inspired LLC. The show is produced by Highland Productions. Our executive producer is Jennifer McNamara. All music is composed by Gabriel Fast.